Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If this happens to be your first time joining us, we want to get to know you better. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card so we can do just that. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. One more time for our victorious God, for our victorious God. And so what that means is we sit under the teaching of God's word tonight, prayerfully, that it would edify us and help us in our life in some way, shape, or form. We are living our lives as Christians, not for victory, but from a place of victory already, from a place of victory already. And I know by the amount of people who just clap for that, the rest of you are like, nah, but I don't feel that, man. I don't feel that, man. And it's okay if you don't. It's okay if you don't. But the reality is, the highest reality for believers in Jesus Christ is that we live this life from a place of victory. And so it is my hope that as we open up God's word this weekend, say hello to all of our online audience. Let's give them a big round of applause. Thank you for joining us. Uh, That as we open the word this weekend, that God would edify our spirits. And I do get to continue in our teaching series through the book of James, the verse by verse teaching series through the book of James. And for those of you who missed last week, you missed a great message by Pastor Scott about the sin of materialism. Come on, somebody, for the sin of materialism, okay? And uh, towards the end of that passage, as we set up the next passage, James was addressing uh, a generation of people who were ripping off Uh, the laborers who were ripping off the laborers. The laborers were, uh, had fraud practiced against them. And James had some strong words for those, um, the ones who were paying the laborers. But this passage today is a word of encouragement to those who were being ripped off, to those who were suffering The context of this passage is first century Christians who in many ways were under Roman rule, and so their lives weren't very good at all. We're going to pick it up in James 5, 7 through 11. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you turn there? If you got your phones, go ahead and open up your app. If you don't have any of that, uh, all the verses will be on the screen. But I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. And then uh, we'll set up the message for today. So uh, let's get right in on the heels of James' prophetic, harsh message to those people who were practicing the sin of materialism and ripping off laborers. He then goes on to say, be patient, therefore. Everyone say, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, let's say it together, be patient 
Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, everyone say patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, which is another word for what? Patience, very good. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. This was the word of God to first century Christians who were experiencing suffering. And James was saying to them, be patient, be patient. Attention question every single time I'm going to preach. Just attention question. Hopefully you can feel the tension in the room. You can build. Here's the tension question. Let's see if it works. How can we become more patient in the midst of our pain? How can we become more patient, more steadfast in the midst of whatever pain or suffering you may be going through? And so... Before I jump in, I just want to let you know, I'm not preaching this message as someone who has never experienced pain before. Now, I'm also not someone who has experienced pain like some of you, but the last three years in particular for me and my wife have been particularly painful. Um, We planted a church eight years ago in the city of Oakland, and the hardest of those eight years was the last two pastoring and leading through the pandemic, all of those things, much of what you had to deal with here, very difficult, a lot of hard situations in our church. I mentioned over Father's Day the difficulty that my wife and I have had over the years with having children and over the last couple of years that dream of having children of our own unfortunately came to death. And lastly, In September of 2018, I, while in Portland, Oregon, caught a bacteria in my eye that took out my eyesight in my right eye uh, for two and a half years. And it wasn't until right before I left the Bay Area to move here at the very end of March where I had a cornea replacement surgery. Um, And so right now, I've got someone else's cornea in my eye. 18 stitches that have yet to be removed. Um, and just to, just to bring you into this a little bit more, I want to show, because I was up in Portland, it's about 5 o'clock, my eyes kind of itchy, I wear contacts, I was already blind, but uh, so I just thought I needed contact solution. So that was like 5 p.m., about 40 hour, 48 hours later from my eye being itchy. So I'm about to show you a picture of what my eye looked like 48 hours later. If you're squirmish, you might want to turn. I'll only leave it up for a couple moments, but I just want to show you the physical suffering that that I was in. Okay, so just brace yourself. We'll put it up for a couple moments. This was my right eye, 48 hours. This was September 13th, 2018. Let's put it on the screen. That was my right eye. Okay, you can take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off. Okay, that's, that's plenty. So, and right after that happened, um, 
I went to the hospital. I got back down to Oakland, and they said, the first thing we got to do is we've got to save your eyeball. That was, and I was like, what? like, save my eyeball? Are you kidding me? Um, and I'll never forget, I, you know, a couple weeks after, I'm wanting to preach again, and I'm trying to, to study, like to read, and it's hurting. Even though my left eye's working, it's hurting so much that my wife, I'm saying, read this passage right here. Can you type that in? And I'm like, I, I might not be able to ever read again. And if I can't read again, I can't have, preach again. If I can't preach again, who am I? Because who am I if I'm not a preacher, God? So I know in a room of this size, some of you have gone through way worse pains than I have. And my burden in the midst of pain and suffering, for I got three. One is your patience is wearing thin. Some of you are here this weekend experiencing pain and suffering, physical, relational, emotional, financial pain and suffering that you might be in. I don't know what it is for you, but if you're anything like most regular people and Christians in particular, there comes a moment when God, by patience, is wearing thin with you. Where are you? Where are you, Lord? Why haven't you come through? Took two and a half years for me to get my surgery because my eye needed to kind of just relax and kind of cool off for a bit. And then right when it's about time to get the surgery, then COVID happens. And so it's just not a priority to do cornea replacement surgeries in the midst of a global pandemic, unfortunately. My patience was wearing thin. And come on, let's just be real here tonight. Are there some people here in the midst of your relational, emotional, physical pain that your patience is wearing thin? When the Lord says, be patient, James says, be patient, you're like, nah, man. My patience is wearing thin. Here's another burden I have, second burden. Impatience impedes intimacy. I don't know about you, but I've experienced moments going through pain and suffering where it becomes really difficult to have an intimate love relationship with Jesus because I'm like, God, you could fix this and you're not, yet you want me to abide. Come on. I mean, I love Abide, Connect, Share. I'm all about Abide, Connect, Share. But how many of you would be honest and say, sometimes when I'm going through pain and suffering and Jesus is not coming through for me, I don't want to abide. Oh, just me. Okay, just me. You're going to leave me all by myself up here. Well, praise God that all of you always want to abide. Praise God for you. Pastor Vance has done such a good job. All we know how to do is abide. And okay, well, praise God. I look forward to learning from you as the years go on, you know. Here's the last burden I have, that impatience incites irritation. When, when you're not healing me, when you're not providing the job, when you're not calming the relational strain between me and that kid or me and my husband, I get irritated. And maybe that's why right in the middle of this text, look what James says to first century Christians. Do not grumble against one another. 
Right in the middle of talking about being patient in the midst of suffering, James writes, do not grumble. Uh, One commentator, Thomas Manton, this is what he has to say about grumbling in the midst of pain and suffering. Do not make one another uneasy by your murmuring groans at what befalls you, nor by your distrustful groans as to what may further come upon you, nor by your revengeful groans against the instruments of your sufferings, nor by your envious groans at those who may be free from your calamities. Do not make yourselves uneasy and make one another uneasy by thus groaning to and grieving one another. How many of you would agree complaining is contagious? Complaining is contagious. So we've got to figure out how to be patient in the midst of our suffering because if we don't figure that out, your small group will turn into a complaining group of people about what we're suffering through. Your home will become a complaining home because this is just what we do. And so if parents, you ever get upset because your kids are complaining, where did they learn that from? Where did they learn that from? And so we, we've got to figure this out because what's at stake, man, impeding our intimacy, irritating one another. And so the good news is, James, in this passage, he lays it out for us. He lays it out how to become more patient in the midst of our pain and suffering. So here's my outline for today. Here's the roadmap for the message. We're going to ask two questions. What should we wait for? How should we wait? This is the passage. What James is saying to first century Christians, he just answers this question straight out of the text. So we'll answer those two questions and then we'll close with some very good news. How many of you are excited for some very good news towards the end of the message? Okay, so the first question is, what are we waiting for? What should we wait for? What should we be patient for? Now, here is what typically we talk about when we're waiting on the Lord. Here's a list of some things that we talk about waiting for. I could preach a message this weekend about waiting for, in the midst of suffering, for your prayers to be answered. I could talk about waiting in the midst of pain and suffering for your dream to be fulfilled. I could talk about your character to be refined because so many times you've heard when it comes to pain and suffering, God is refining your character. How many of you hate that one? Come on, let's just be honest. Let's just get this character refinement thing over with, okay? Well, I'm not preaching on that tonight. And some of us waiting for justice to be served. Like those first century Christians, justice needs to be served. Unfortunately, James, when imploring first century Christians to be patient, he does not tell them to be patient for any of these things. Now, that's not saying that in the Christian life there's something to be learned about patience so that these things can come to happen. It's just not what James was telling first century Christians to be patient for. 
So what was James telling first century Christians to be patient for in the midst of pain and suffering? Let's jump back into the text. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for, let's read it together. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Tonight, friends, we are talking about being patient for the coming of the Lord. Now, if I'm anything like you, I ain't really interested in that, man. He ain't came back for a long time. Is that really what we're talking about tonight? Okay, I get it. I get it. Let me try to get you to be more interested in this. Let's talk about this phrase, the second coming. In the scriptures, there are, how how many of you like word studies? Kind of like Bible nerds, Bible geeks a little bit, like to get into the original language. Come on, raise them high. Be proud, okay? All right. Okay. Okay. Let's take a look at some of these words. In the New Testament, we see three different words for this phrase, second coming. Epiphania, which means like a manifestation of Jesus Christ. An epiphany, that's where we get the word epiphany. Apocalypsis, where we get the term apocalypse. This is the term that is used in the book of Revelation. This talks about a revelation of the coming Christ. Then the final word, the word that's used here in the book of James is parousia. Everyone say parousia. 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 Now, how is parousia different from a manifestation of Christ or a revelation of Christ? Let's go to the commentaries. What do the commentaries say? Parousia, the third word, the one for the Lord's coming in verse 7 and 8 of our text is parousia, which emphasizes Christ's physical presence. Literally meaning being alongside of. It is used 15 times in the New Testament in reference to Christ's return, denoting the physical arrival of a ruler. The significance of the word as James uses it here is that his suffering people longed for the presence of Christ their king. So the quick interpretation of verses 7 and 8, interpreting the text is simply this. I want to read it straight off the slide for you. Patience for the physical arrival and return of Jesus Christ was James' command for first century suffering saints. Patience for the physical arrival and return of Jesus Christ. Now, I just don't know how many of us live the majority of our lives thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of our more, got to choose my words wisely here, mature saints. Come on, somebody. Where are my mature saints at at Hope Church? Let's go. Let's go. Mature saints. You probably are thinking a little bit more about the return of Jesus Christ, but why, why do we have to wait to get older to yearn for the return of our king? Uh, one commentator has to say this about the return of our king. Let's read this. Waiting patiently on Jesus' return is the climactic patience for the Christian. 
And note well, it is not a patience that amounts to being apathetic about his return. True patience presupposes acute longing and intense ache. We can't be patient with his second coming if we don't first pine for it, if we don't first want it. How many of you here tonight want this weekend, online audience, want the second coming of the Lord? Uh, he goes on to say here, to look around at our broken and sin-sick world and say, how long, O oh Lord, does not betray patience, but gives patience its greatest expression. For the Christian, patience for the return of the Lord is patience at its best. Now, but we got a problem here. I said it already. We don't really want God to return. We don't pine for it. Why don't we pine and think about like this week when you prayed, when it came to your pain and your suffering, you were probably pining, uh, pining for healing, pining for comfort, Pining for deliverance. You weren't saying in the midst of whatever financial or relational pain, Lord, please come back. Maybe some of you were. Here is my belief. Here is why I think we don't pine for the return of our Lord. Say it this way. In the midst of our pain and suffering, we long far more for our comforts to return than our Christ. Why is it that we sing of a coming king, but when it comes to pain and suffering, we don't want that king to come back? That that desire isn't reflected in the cry of our hearts. I think a large part of it is because here in these United States of America, we have got it so good. I love air conditioning since moving out here to Las Vegas. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I mean, I, come on, somebody. Air conditioning, <laughs> praise the Lord. But, but like, you know, there were, were days and there are people who don't have air conditioning in their homes in heat similar to this. There are luxuries that Christians all over the world don't have like we have. Maybe that's why in some other parts of the world there is a longing more for Christ's return. And it's not just in other parts of the world. I think in other times in the history of our own country, there have been people who have longed more for the return of the Lord. So I was studying this and thinking about this and some commentaries alluded to this. It was definitely on my heart as it relates to a desire for the coming of the Lord, I think we have a lot to learn from the forefathers of our African-American brothers and sisters. We have a lot to learn from the forefathers of our African-American brothers and sisters who existed during a time of slavery. And in the midst of that time of slavery, a whole genre of music was developed. African-American spirituals. 
And it would be in these spirituals where a majority of the tone of these spirituals were singing for the return of the king. Why? Because there was no hope for any earthly comfort. They couldn't see a day when their family wouldn't be enslaved in the way that they were. So all they could do was sing out for the return of the king. And as that songbook was written over the years, crying out for the coming of the Lord, you might have heard a song similar to or even this exact song. Let's listen in to the cries. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me Jordan, and what did I see? Coming forth to carry me home, a band of angels coming after me, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Sweet low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home sweet love sweet chariot coming forth to carry me home sweet Sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me What's it going to take for us to long for the return of the Lord in a way that we've never longed for the return of the Lord? 
It's unlikely that any of us in this lifetime will ever experience living under slavery again. But what if, what if one of the primary reasons, let me just read this right off the screen, what if one of the primary purposes of your current season of pain and suffering is to develop within you a deeper longing for the future return of Jesus Christ? Let's not miss it, friends. Is he sanctifying us? Yes. Will there be a dream fulfilled? Very likely. Is there going to be prayers answered? I hope so. But let's not miss the work of the Lord to build within us a desire for the physical return of our coming King. Someone say amen, amen, amen. Because I think sometimes, friends, that's the only resource that will get you through. Things getting better in this lifetime won't even do it for you. Some of you right now are going through depths of pain that the only thing that will get you to tomorrow is the fact that Christ has promised a return. Lean into that, friends. Lean into that, friends. So what are we waiting for? Not prayers answered necessarily, not all these other things. The physical return of Christ. we got to keep this moving. Second part of the outline. So then how should we wait? How should we wait? Should we just sing sweet low, swing low, sweet chariot? Woe is me in the corner of our room. Lord, just return head in the sand until God returns. Thankfully, James doesn't tell us to wait in that way. He actually lays out three examples of how we should wait. He talks about a farmer. He talks about some prophets. And then he talks about the servant Job. And so very quickly, we're going to look at these three examples that James tells first century Christians, wait like them. In the midst of your suffering, wait for the return of the Lord. But as you wait, take on the approach to patience that the farmer has, that the prophets had, and that Job had. Let's take a look at the farmer really quick. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. What does this mean? The farmer had an approach to waiting that expected God's providence. Right? When a farmer would sow seed, at some point, the farmer knew, I'm going to do what only I can do. And at some point, God has to do what only he can. Every single farmer operated in that way. They didn't ever think to themselves, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm also going to do every, because the farmer can't make it rain. Make it rain. He couldn't make it rain. He definitely couldn't make it rain twice in the year. Early and late rains. It speaks not only to God's providence, because only God could make it rain. There's a word in there. But it talks about a lengthy period of waiting, early and late rains. Come on, somebody. How many of us are thankful for waiting for a long time? Oh, okay, just me, just me. 
I had to wait two and a half years for a surgery. I, I thought I was going to have to get my surgery out here, but God providentially opened up one surgery slot right before I moved. Two and a half years later, I had to wait. And then check this, check this. When I came out here to, to Vegas, I needed to find an ophthalmologist to help one day take out the stitches. I'm telling Pastor Vance about uh, my, my conundrum. I need an ophthalmologist. And he goes, Ed, we got this guy who goes to Hope Church. He is the ophthalmologist for the UFC. Like ultimate fighting, the guys who get their eyes knocked out, he's their doctor. And I don't, he might be here this weekend. Like I don't, I got an appointment. I got an appointment with him on Tuesday. I got an appointment with the UFC ophthalmologist. Wait, expecting God's providence. Some of you are in situations where you need to wait, not just, ah, I hope so. Wait, expecting God to do something. Like the farmers expected there's going to be rain. There's going to be rain. What expectation do you need to have in the midst of your pain and suffering? What providential thing, and I know some of you are tired, but maybe the word of the Lord to you tonight is expect again. God is worthy of you expecting again that he could come through in a supernatural way. Okay, let's take a look at the prophets. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. What's the point from this? We don't only want to wait expecting a blessing. We want to wait considering that you're blessed. Oh, you don't like that? But no, I'm not blessed. Ed, no, no, you are. Look, behold, we consider those blessed. The prophets like Daniel who was thrown in the lion's den. The prophet like Jeremiah who literally was told... Your assignment is to preach the gospel, and no one's going to listen to you. <laughs> wow, I, I know as a preacher, that would be devastating. That would be devastating. But we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So if, if they were going to be seen as blessed, maybe in our suffering, we should see ourselves as we will be seen in the future. Blessed. There's only one other place that this form of the word blessed appears in the New Testament. Man, this is, guys, guys, this is incredible. In the study this week, this is incredible. Check this out. There's only one other time. Don't you want to know that one other time? Come on, come on, right? Like, there's only one other time. And it's right after Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And she sings this song. It's called the Magnificat. Come on, everyone, say Magnificat. That's just a cool word. And look, look at what it says. Look what it says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was seeing herself as she would one day be seen. What if in the midst of whatever suffering you're going through, 
you could bring the future view of how people see you going through your suffering, calling you one day blessed, and see yourself as blessed today. See, that's some otherworldly type of testimony. And, and not that I want to make myself the hero of the story, but sometimes I get it right. And in the midst of me not being able to see, I don't know, it's just the Holy Spirit of God. But there came a time, surgery wasn't coming, and I said to myself, man, how blessed am I that God would trust me with this ailment? Because I guess in his mind, at some point, he thought to himself, Edward, I know you could I know you could handle this, and I know you could glorify me through this, so I'm going to give this to you, and, I, and I'm not crazy. I'm a little crazy, but I actually, I actually and, and this is me. My wife's here. I actually, this is a gift. Lord, that you would choose to love me with this ailment so I could have a fresh testimony of your goodness in my life. Wait, not only considering God's providence, but wait and know that now you are blessed. I got to hurry. Job, Job, what do we learn from Job? Wait, remembering God's character. While you wait for whatever deliverance in the midst of your pain and suffering, remember, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Look at what Job said in the midst for those of you who are new to Bible study, this is a guy who had it all, and then he had it all taken away from him. All his kids died, and he was blameless before the Lord. Like, we're not even blameless before the Lord. And Job, it was, and he had it all taken away. And look what he says. Though he slay me, other translations, though he kill me, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. And I, real quick digression. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. I love this. Job persevered. Job never lost his hope in the character of God, but he was real about his suffering. For those of you who know the book of Job, you know he complained against God. It's like, what are you doing? He complained against his miserable comforters. So what I want to say to you, I don't want this to be some Pollyanna message where you're just supposed to expect that you're blessed. And I'm going through a divorce. That's cute that you can say you're blessed that your eyesight was gone, but my kids are being taken away from me. I'm losing my house. That's Pollyanna to say I'm blessed, that I should just expect God's providence. It's been 25 years, Ed. Don't tell me to just expect God's providence. And to that I would say, man, I don't know what you're going through. But God can handle your complaints. Man, maybe, maybe some of you, maybe the rest of this, maybe some of you, man, I, I could just free you up tonight to go home and to be honest before the Lord about how you really feel. About how you really feel, because he can handle it. I do want to say this in, in relation to not forgetting God's character on the next slide. Um, Kent Hughes says, God cannot be unkind to his children. Some of you needed to hear that tonight. That in the midst of whatever pain you're going through, God cannot be unkind to his children. The way this works out in my life is I've said it this way, that God is love. You know that. God is love. So what does that mean? Anything that God allows to happen in my life is an act of love. God doesn't know how to do anything but love you. 
in the midst of this child custody thing, he doesn't know how to do anything but love me, in the midst of me losing my job, in the midst of this cancer, you're telling me he doesn't know how to do anything but love me? The scripture says God is love. So the question becomes, how could we see his love even when he doesn't feel loving? How can we see whatever pain and suffering we're going through as an act of love? So we wait remembering the character of God. And one of those characteristics is that he is love. Here's the summary. And here's the application. Yes, we need to go home desiring like never before the coming of the Lord in the midst of your pain and suffering. But to that, I would add, as we look at these three examples of what it looks like to be patient in the midst of suffering, which one of these do you need to take on as more of a characteristic in your life? Man, I need to be a little bit more like the farmer. I need to expect God's providence. I need to be a little bit more like the prophets. I need to consider, even though I don't feel blessed, that I am blessed. I need to wait and be a little bit more like Job. I need to remember who God is, even though I don't see that characteristic being fleshed out in my life. Now, at this point, if I've got you where I want you, this should feel impossible. In some ways, it should feel hopeful, but it should also feel impossible put right up against whatever suffering you're going through. And that's why I want to close with some good news. Good news. Let's go to 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy, what is it? 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, and we'll close. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is Paul. I'm the foremost sinner and Christ came in to save people like me. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What does this unpack for us? A couple things. Number one, for those of us in the room who've blown it as it relates to being patient in the midst of our suffering. If we've blown it, if we haven't longed for Jesus, if we've been nothing like the farmer, the prophets, or Job, the good news is Jesus died for the sin of our impatience. Someone say amen. He died for the sin of our impatience. So friends, we are forgiven tonight. But in addition to forgiveness, in my mind, even better than forgiveness, this scripture says that Jesus had perfect patience. And the gospel isn't just that we are forgiven of our sins. The gospel also says that in Christ we receive his righteousness. So this perfect patience that Jesus had is credited to us when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. Some of you need to be a little bit more excited about the fact that perfect patience has been credited to you. Are you perfectly patient? Turn to your neighbor and say, no, no, no. 
But when God looks down on us, he doesn't see our impatience. He sees the perfect patience of his son. Oh, that's good gospel. Finally, for those of you who may be here tonight and have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want to give one hope for you. You're going to have an opportunity to respond in a minute. Paul in this verse says, I was the worst of sinners. But Jesus displayed his perfect patience. He displayed his perfect patience most by saving me the worst. What does that mean? No one here this weekend who could hear my voice is beyond the perfect patience of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've walked away from Jesus. He has perfect patience for you this weekend. Perfect patience for you. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. We're going to give you a chance to respond, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, would you, God, in the only way that you can, give a peace that surpasses all understanding to all those who are here this weekend? God, would you do it by the power of your Spirit? I know that even in the midst of this message, it could fall on deaf ears because the pain is just so real. And to that, I would say, God, please move. Please meet the needs of the people who are gathered here tonight, God. But Lord, we, we want to think most, not about our impatience, but your gifting of perfect patience to us. We don't have to leave here condemned for our impatience. We don't have to leave here feeling bad about the fact that we haven't been carrying our suffering well because in Christ we are righteous and we say to that, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Move within the remainder and closing moments of this service. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV Podcast. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and rate and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.